All right, spoiler alert, they hit it. In case you didn't already know that. Titanic, 1997, that feels like an eternity ago. Uh, I 100% remember going and seeing that movie in theaters like four times at least. That was like, that was a big deal. Remember when the double-cased VHS came out? Did anybody? No, age is showing. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, so we lost the second tape at some point, so, you know, I guess the ship never actually sunk. Uh, you know, it's a great movie. You know, again, spoiler alert, they do hit the iceberg, the uh, ship sinks, everybody dies, except for Rose, who is incredibly selfish, by the way. Uh, I still stand by there was 100% room for two people on that door, floating door. Jack didn't have to die, but he did. Hey, uh, I, I learned something cool a minute ago. Someone told me that um, apparently there, were, there, was a, there was a box that held all the binoculars and the telescopes on the, on the ship, and the guy who had the key didn't make it onto the boat or something like that, so they, they never actually had binoculars or telescopes to be able to look out at the ice. I didn't know that. Did you all know that? I didn't, I didn't know that. Anyways, I digress. Uh, <laughs> So many warning signs, man. We get to see this kind of play out throughout this movie as, as uh, the captain of this boat. Um, you know, you can see at the beginning of that where he is very cautious. I don't know. We shouldn't light the last two boilers. I don't want to push it. I don't, uh, she's never done this before. And he's just being told over and over again, it's okay. It's the safest boat. We have all the safety procedures in place. we got great things. This is the fastest ship, you know, and, and he's ignoring all these warning signs that he knows are true. He knows that things are not okay. He's literally being given slips of paper saying there is ice ahead, and he is ignoring them because he's letting all of these voices convince him and let his guard down, and he's developing blind spots, and he's beginning to ask himself, what's the worst that could happen? We've made it through multiple nights now where we've just been pushing along, and everything's been good, and we're going to make sense of this in a minute, I promise, of where Titanic plays into this. But we've been in this series, Parables, the greatest stories ever told uh, throughout this summer. And uh, we've got to hear some incredible, incredible stories and some connections. And the thing about parables is that most parables, when you read them, um, I like to classify them as ticking time bombs. And, and what I mean by that is when you read them, uh, and even in the moments when they were told by Jesus, a lot of times it didn't exactly make sense in the moment. And even today when we read some of these parables, we, they, they mean something different every time. Or maybe you, you get to a point in life where you look at it and you go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I know what he was talking about at that point. There are these ticking time bombs. But for the parable that we're going to be talking about today, this time Jesus basically walked in and threw a hand grenade in the room and said, here we go. And so this is going to be later in Jesus' ministry. This is getting real close to being one of the last parables that he told. And so um, basically in this point, uh, the, uh, he's walking and he's telling them what's going on. But it's the parable of the, of the wicked tenants, the parable of the wicked farmer, the parable of the bad tenants. There's so many different ways you could call this. And we're going to jump into it in a minute. But to give you some background of what's happening when Jesus is speaking uh, about this parable is that Jesus and his disciples, they have arrived in Jerusalem. And he rode in on his donkey and there's massive celebration, and woo, everybody's excited that Jesus is here, and so what happens is, is that uh, he had basically, at this point, he had gone completely scorched earth and flipped some tables in, a, in the temple, and uh, he, he, he blessed out a fig tree. Uh, like, he's basically at a point where he knows that the intensity of, of everything is his, his, basically his time is running out, and so the intensity of his message uh, is increasing every single day. Every day, he's getting more and more intense about what is coming up. And so what happens is, is that he went into the temple to teach, as he had done before, and the religious leaders, again, begin to question him. 
Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who gives you the authority to be able to preach and to teach these things? And these were educated men. They had been told. It wasn't that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he said, I am God. It was that they just didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to believe or embrace that what Jesus said was true. And at this point, Jesus had completely had it with these guys, right? So they had asked him many, many times, who are you, on what authority are you preaching, on who, who gives you the right? And he had answered that question so many times at this point, he actually rattled off, if you read chapter 21 in its entirety, he actually rattled back off to them and hit him with a question in return, and they were like, we don't know. He's like, well, because you don't know, I'm not even going to tell you. Whatever. You ever have that moment with your kids where you try to tell them what the truth is, and they're like, I don't want to believe it. And you're like, and they're like, but dad, how do I do? And then you're like, I'm not even going to tell you anymore because every time I tell you, you're just going to ignore what I'm having to tell you. And so Jesus has hit this point. He has put his face in his palm and he has said, I am done with you guys. I'm not even going to try to justify the authority in which, I, but what I am going to do is I'm going to tell you some stories. And so right there in this moment, in, this, in, this, uh, in the temple, he began to tell two parables. Uh, the first of the parables was the parable of the two sons. Uh, again, all this can be found in chapter 21 of Matthew. You can go and read it for yourself. Um, but what I want to focus on is the second parable uh, that Jesus spoke uh, to the religious leaders, uh, and that is the parable of the wicked tenants. And so if you have your Bibles this morning or your Bible app or anything that you use to follow along, if not, I'm going to read it. What I want to do is I want to read this parable in its entirety, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit as to what might have been happening here. And so picking up on uh, chapter 21, verse 33, this is what it says. It says, now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop, but the farmers grabbed his servants, they beat one, they killed one, and they stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. And finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves." So they grabbed him, they dragged him out of the vineyard, and they murdered him. And when the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, He'll put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyards to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. And Jesus asked them, Didn't you ever read this in the Scriptures? Two times in this chapter, by the way, he looks at the religious leaders and says, Did you read at all? Did you listen to anything? And I love it because he's kind of in this moment where he's like, I'm kind of done with you clowns right now. You're not listening to me. Do you even read the scriptures? Have you read anything? Because the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So it wasn't until this moment right here, after all that had happened, it wasn't until this moment right here that the, the, the religious leaders finally went, you know what? I think he might be talking about us. It's kind of one of those here's your sign moments, right? you got to imagine the frustration that Jesus is going, finally, 
You understand what it is I'm trying to tell you right now. I've been trying to speak to you through parables, and you have just neglected to even think that it might be about you. And at this moment right here, they say, oh, you know, he's talking about us. And how do they react about it? They get angry. It's kind of like the whole shoot the messenger thing, right? Instead of identifying and, 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 and confronting what it is that you've got going on that people are trying to tell you is wrong, you get upset and you shoot the messenger. And that's what was happening. They were like, well, we should just, he's talking about us. Like, how dare this man talk about us? We should just arrest him. But they don't because they're cowards and they're afraid of the mobs of people outside who love Jesus and they're like, ah, let's just hold off. And so the question is, is, is what happened in this moment where the, where the religious leaders woke up to the fact that, you know what, he might be talking about us. What happened was is that they began to hear voices in their head. They began to have a stirring in their conscience. They began to feel it in their souls. They began to have conviction over what was going on. We see this a lot. You ever feel like the pastor is speaking to you? I, I, I hear this all the time. I'm sure Pastor Steve hears it every single week. Pastor, listen, um, you were talking directly to me this morning. Uh, hey, that worship song that we played this morning, you're not going to believe this, was on my playlist on the way to church today. You definitely did that for me. You ever have these moments? You ever sit and listen to what Pastor Steve is saying? I do this all the time, sitting in the back row just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, he's you're talking to me. I know you're talking to me. And then you start to wonder, you start to, it starts to get in your head a little bit, and you're wondering, like, uh, was he talking to me? Did he read my texts? Did he read my emails? Did he read my mind? Is that what pastors can do? Did he read my internet search history? Did he read my mail that's coming? Fun fact, listen, seriously, fun fact, very rarely, if ever, are we ever talking to, we're talking to ourselves, at least for me. And when I preach from this stage, I'm 100% preaching from things that I am struggling with. These are things that the Lord is teaching me. These are the things I am 100% talking to myself. Everything we're going to talk about this morning, I'm talking to myself. It's very rare that we're ever talking to you, but this is one of those mornings where I want you to embrace that feeling, Okay. It's a conviction feeling, and, and here's the thing, is conviction is not the same as condemnation. We read in Romans 8, verses 1 through 2, we read this, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the, living, uh, of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. No condemnation, but there 100% is conviction. And so what's the difference in this moment? What's the difference that we're looking at? See, condemnation is feelings of humiliation, of exposure, of shame. It's when you walk around feeling like, I'm not good enough to be on this, world, on this earth. I don't need to live. It's when you hang your head in shame, when you hear voices in your head that are constantly telling you that you are unworthy, that you'll never amount to anything. And if I can be honest with you for a minute, that the voices in your head that you're hearing that are saying that you are unworthy, those aren't the voice of God. That's 100% not the voice of God that you're hearing. That is, that is condemnation, and it is not from God. And so what's the difference? Conviction addresses the same issues that you were feeling with condemnation. It addresses the same issues in your own life that you know what's going on. It's that aha moment where you go, mm, you know what, I think this might be talking about me. But it comes with a warmth. It comes with God. It comes with him saying that, 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 that he wants our attention. God is saying, we can deal with this. We can get through this. I'm here. I have already paid for it. He sees through the things in our lives that are going astray. He sees what's coming. He sees all the areas that are broken. He sees the things that we are heading towards that are bringing about disaster. But he, the conviction is coming from a place of warmth where he's reminding us, you don't have to do this alone. 
And while there may be no condemnation for sin, there 100% is consequences. Consequences. And this is where the religious leaders had found themselves. See, when we repeatedly ignore and suppress God's voice, much like these men had done, we build up resistance to it. And the warnings have to get stronger and stronger and stronger before we actually stop. And listen, we see this played out with the movie Titanic. At first, as he was receiving warnings, as he was thinking, as he was processing all of what was going on in his head, he knew something was wrong. He knew, we're going too fast. We've never pushed it this way before. He had already told himself those. And what did he do? He let all these other voices, all these other influences, all these other people come in and say, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry about it. We made it through night one. We made it through night two. We're still going to stay full steam ahead to the point that he had literally just said, I'm not even going to think about it anymore. The man is being handed warnings of ice being in the area. And what does he do? He looks back, he goes, oh, not to worry. Uh, um, that wasn't supposed to be an accent, and that was really, uh, that was embarrassing. Um, I don't even know if I can say that without putting it, what was that? Was that Irish? Is, that wasn't even whatever he was. Let's just, please forget that happened. He says, not to worry, don't, don't worry about it. We're, we are safe, we're good, we're going to keep on pressing. And he began to develop these blind spots in his own life. He didn't have a clue why, but these blind spots were putting him in a difficult and very dangerous uh, situations. The problem is if we resist long enough, we're going to stop hearing altogether. When we resist the voice of God and we just decide that we're not going to worry about what's being said, and we're going to look past all the warnings, what happens is, is that we, we lose the, the voice of God altogether. We fall into deception. We develop these blind spots. We convince ourselves that God is okay with how we're living. We justify our sin or we make light of it. It's just this one little thing, right? So I live, a, I, I got a great life. I, I, you know, I, I pray and I, and I come to church on Sunday and, and I, I love God. And, but but there's, there's this, this one little thing that I, I really don't want to give up and I, I don't really think it's that big of a deal because God's never really confronted me about it before, right? So like what could go wrong? And it's a blind spot in your life, much like was being developed on the Titanic, what are some other blind spots that perhaps we uh, begin to develop is that uh, look at maybe our finances, right? And so our finances, what happens is that we, uh, we convince ourselves that debt is just kind of part of life, right? Everybody's got debt. Everybody is broke. I mean, look at the way the world is right now, man. I mean, groceries, gas, the way things are, like it's never been more challenging in my life than to not put things on a credit card because I'm like, where's the money going to come from? And so you look at the world, you look at the fact that everybody's broke, everybody's in debt, and you think to yourself, ah, just put one thing. What could happen? And we build blind spots, and the next thing you know, you're sitting on mountains of debt, and you have no idea where it came from. Or maybe in your relationships, maybe in your relationships you developed blind spots. You convinced yourself that, you know what, it's just, uh, it, that person is just a friend. Just going to go and uh, talk with them. We're just going to go and hang out together. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got to get my needs met somewhere. I don't want to bother my, uh, my spouse with this. So, you know, I'll just go and I'll have these conversations. Or, um, you know, maybe you're not getting your intimacy needs met. And so you convince yourself that, you know what, I'll find other ways to do that. It's just one time, just going to look once, what could happen? And the next thing you know, you're sitting in a disaster of a relationship because you have opened up opportunity for blind spots to creep in, and now you've lost your way, and now you're heading towards an iceberg, and you have no idea how to stop. And this is where the spiritual leaders at this point had found themselves. 
the nation of Israel at this point is under Roman rule. They are in bondage. They are oppressed, and they are upset about that because they want God to deliver them. But God has given them plenty, plenty of warnings, plenty of warnings. We even see this tied in to this parable that we're talking about right here. Uh, that It says from the beginning, it says that a certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. So the landlord was gone, but he set the tenants up for success. It says this, and God had done the same thing with Israel. He gave them land. He gave them influence. He gave them a promise of blessing. He set laws in place for them to live by. Three simple things. Just honor me. Honor me as God. Obey my law and tell other people about me. Three simple things. And much like the tenants in this parable that we read about, much like the tenants, Israel wasn't holding up their part of the bargain. They weren't holding up their part of the deal. And so where do you and I fit into this story? Where do you and I fit into this parable? It says this uh, somewhere uh, inside the parable. It says, I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Where do we fit into this? You and I are the new tenants. Us, the church, this church. At this point, God is saying, I'm going to give it to somebody else. If you can't bear good fruit, I'm going to give it to somebody else. And that is where we play into this. God was saying, because you have continually rejected, because you have continually disobeyed, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and will be given to someone else. See, God expects us, the new tenants, if you want to, to produce the same fruits that at this point Israel uh, did not. And so what are those things, again, it was honor me as God. And what does that mean? That means it's taking everything that we have and telling God, this is yours. My finances, my thoughts, my things, my, my, my worldly, my, all of the, my, my mind, my body, my soul, all of these things are yours, God. When it says to honor God, it means to make him Lord in your life, to honor him, to give him everything you have and say, I can't steward this on my own. I need you. The second was to obey his law. How many times have we said this in our life? I know God says this, but... This just feels way better. I know it says, but this is, this is a better situation for me. And I think what God is really wanting from us is to take that word but and replace it with a therefore. God spoke, so therefore, this is what I will do. God asked me to do this, so therefore, this is what I will do. We will obey his law. And the last is that we'll share God with the world. Whether that be your friends, whether you're part of a church, this church, the way we reach out to our community, the way we constantly want to show the love of God to those who are lost and hurting, have never experienced before, because that's what God requires of us. And the question is, is what happens if, like Israel, what happens if we fail to produce those results? What happens if we, as new tenants, fail to produce these results? You know, maybe he would respond, maybe God would respond the same way that he did to Israel. Maybe you're already sitting in that place. Maybe right now you're sitting here this morning and you, have, you don't hear God anymore. Maybe you've never heard God. Maybe you're trying to figure out who God is. Maybe he's gone silent in your life and you're not hearing him anymore and you're sitting there wondering what are the results going to be of the fact that I've abandoned the things that God has asked for me. And maybe you're sitting right now heading towards an iceberg and you're trying to figure out why. See, this parable, this parable is a warning. It's a warning to people who repeatedly reject and resist the word of God and to people who don't produce fruit. Jesus was protecting, he was pointing out what God is really looking for is not people who proclaim Jesus as Lord, but people who live it, 
right? We say this all the time. It's not enough to just come and be in church on Sunday morning and check off that box, right? We got to live it. We have to live with others. We have to live in community. We got to follow. We got to obey. We got to, to, to honor. We have to do all these things. Living it is, or just saying it is not enough. So the question becomes, how in the world did the, the religious leaders, did Israel, did us today, how did we get to this point? How did they get to this point? How do you get so far away? How do you go from, and I'm asking myself this question because I find myself in this sometimes. I've been in this position many times. Is I get to this point where I love God so much. How do you go from being in that moment right there all the way to a point where you literally don't hear him speaking to you anymore? How do you get from that point to that point? And I think that we can look at this story, we can look at the Old Testament, we can look at the mistakes that Israel made along the way, and we can apply them to our own life, and maybe seeing how things have gone wrong in our own life. The first was this, that they had distorted their understanding of God to justify their obedience. It's really easy to do that. It's really easy to take bits and pieces out of Scripture and find ways to justify our behavior and the way that we act But do you remember the words, maybe you've never spoken these before, do you remember that I'm done moment in your own life? Do you remember when you looked at God and you broke down and you said, I can't do this on my own anymore, God. I can't do this without you. Everything I have is yours. I'm giving my life to you. I want you here. I am done. How do we get from that point to literally not hearing God anymore? The second is this, they mistook and interpreted the grace of God as indifference or affirmation of how we are living. They mistook and interpreted the grace of God as indifference. We see this played out in the parable, right? So the landowner sends a whole group down there of, of servants to go and figure out what's going on and try to get his portion of the, uh, of the crop. And what happens? They beat him, they kill him, they send him back, and the landowner does nothing. And so what does this do? This gives them permission, full-out permission. So next time he sends the larger group, we've already been down this road. Beat them, kill them, whatever. Landowner's not going to respond. He's not going to do anything. To the point that he literally sent his son, the landowner sends his son down there saying, of course, he's going to definitely be able to get through to them. It's my son, right? And they kill him too. And sometimes I wonder if we're mistaken interpreting grace as indifference. You know, grace is, God is showing me grace, so clearly he doesn't care. Clearly he's okay with what I'm doing. I heard a quote one time about grace that stuck with me for a long time. It says this, I'm going to read it twice. It says, grace is unconditional and unlimited in scope, but not in duration. Grace is unconditional and unlimited in scope, but not in duration. You see, there's going to come a day when our accounts are going to become due. There's going to come a day where we're going to have to give an account for the life that we led on this earth. And some of us currently right now might be misinterpreting grace in our own lives as indifference or that we think that God is okay with what we're doing. Here's the thing. If you have a voice in your life right now that's trying to convince you that God is okay with your sin, he is not. He's just giving you time to deal with it. And we look at all these moments throughout Scripture that God gave Israel time to deal with it. You got time. I'm giving you time. It's not indifference. It's not that I don't care. I'm trying to give you time to deal with this because I know you need it. I know you need that time to be able to wake up to what's going on. And maybe right now you're sitting in a season where God is just giving you time to deal with it. It's not indifference. It's not that he doesn't care. It's that he's just giving you the time. And the last thing is this, we build up an immunity to the voice and the warnings of God. We build up an immunity to it. 
And this is what had happened in, this, in, the, in the movie, in the Titanic movie, is that you know, he had all these things that were telling him, uh, hey, don't do this, don't light the two boilers, don't go fast, don't, don't do... And he began to ignore them. He began to build up an immunity to all those voices. See, when Jesus told this parable, much like many of the other ones, they didn't even know that he was talking to them. That's what's crazy about it is that they had literally shut themselves off so far from the voice of God that they did not even know that Jesus was talking about them until he finally got to the end of this last parable and they went, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I get it now. They developed blind spots because they thought that God was just okay with everything that was going on, so they stopped listening. And it, surely he couldn't be talking about us. My wife struggles with blind spots. I have permission to tell this story. <laughs> Driving is not her forte. Blind spots are a challenge. We've had lots of vehicles get hurt because of it. Uh, everything from, you know those yellow poles that they put in the, uh, the gas station to make sure you don't hit the pump? Just, just drag that down the whole side of the car. She, even today, or even uh, here at the church years ago, she backed into Thomas's car and ripped his side mirror off and didn't even see it. Nothing. We rented a truck one time because we were getting car, uh, worked on our other car, and she took the truck, the rental truck, and she backed it into a telephone pole and folded the tailgate in half. And luckily we had the insurance because that, that's a weird thing, walking in there and dropping the keys on the counter. They go, any damage? Oh, oh yeah. Wait, wait, wait till you see that one. I remember she called me. She goes, I'm not coming home. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, I'm not coming home. I said, what are you talking about? So what did I do? I bought her a car that has signals on everything, sensors on everything. If she gets near a squirrel, it goes, bah, 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 and it just lets her know. It's got a backup cam. Like so many times I see her doing this summer right here. She's looking, she's looking out the window. She's, and I'm like, babe, there's 13 inches of screen sitting right here in front of you that has a camera on it so that you don't back up. But I bought her a vehicle. Maybe you have that vehicle. And I'm going to tell you, ever since we got that vehicle, there have been no accidents whatsoever. Now, that thing goes off all the time. But it's warning her, bah, 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 bah. and maybe what it, what it is that we're missing in our life is we're missing something that's going to give us a warning, something that's going to let us know, hey, you are heading towards a disaster. But the question is, is what's it going to take for us to wake up to it? Like, I'm sure you've received a warning, but what did it take? What is it going to take for you to change? What's it going to be? Do you have to actually hit the iceberg for you to understand that the warnings that are being given to you are real? Or are those, bah, 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 are those enough for you? All those red flags that are going off, all those things, all the people that are telling you, maybe the people who are telling you that you got some things going on in your life and you're shooting the messenger in return, maybe they're telling you the truth. Maybe we need to sit and we need to think for a minute about what God might be trying to tell us, maybe through other people as well. Maybe we're trying to shoot the messenger much like the religious leaders did. Remember, they got angry when they realized that he was talking about them and they're like, ah, arrest the man. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're so, so blind to our own sin that when people point it out, we literally become angry. We want to shoot the messenger. Or we get mad at other people for having literally the same problems that we're dealing with and we, and we, you know, we judge them as if we're not going through the same thing. The reality is, is that a lot of us in this room have been or are currently in a place of brokenness right now. We're striving, but never arriving. That phrase hits hard. Because I think about every day how I wake up, and my goal is just to get through another day. I'm striving. I'm striving. This world's crazy. Things are crazy. Life is crazy. Kids are crazy. Everything's crazy. 
bill's got to be paid and all this other stuff. And I'm just striving. I'm striving, but sometimes it feels like we never arrive to where it is that, we're, that we need to be. We're having that I'm done moment. Like our emotions, our lives, our dreams, all of them are broken. We're looking at it going, this can't be what it was. This isn't what it is. This isn't what God promised me. This is what my life was supposed to be. Are you kidding me right now? We never ask, though. We never sit back and ask, okay, things are bad right now, but what is it that God is trying to tell me? What warning sign am I being given right now? What am I ignoring? What blind spots have I developed? So there's a really important piece of this parable uh, that we haven't spoken about yet, and it's this piece here. It says, then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read it in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. They built houses primarily out of stone. We've, we've, we've read it in Scripture. We've heard of Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And a lot of times we think of that being, so back they used to build a lot of houses out of stone, so they would take the most perfectly shaped stone that they could find, and that would be what they would use to set the direction of the whole house. Everything would be built upon that one stone. It would be the foundation in which everything else was built as the cornerstone. Okay? We see this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4-9. through nine. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Jesus, the chief cornerstone, we've heard that before, but what about this part in here where it says that anyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on? So a lot of people believe that he was pointing to a way of execution in which they would build scaffolding that was about 12 feet tall. And what they would do is they would take men to the top of the scaffolding and there'd be a giant rock down on the ground and they would drop them from 12 feet and they would land on the rock and they would break. They wouldn't die. They weren't past being healed. They would just break. Legs, ribs, arms, whatever the case might be. They would fall and they would break onto that stone. And right now Jesus is saying, I am that stone. That's what he's trying to communicate through this parable is I am that stone. If you continue to reject me, you'll continue to fall on the stone. You'll continue to stay broken. See, if God is who he says he is and Jesus is in fact the stone, then what we do doesn't really matter. Jesus is all things. It doesn't matter if we reject him. He's still going to be the stone. So you can't ignore that. You can't just say I'm going to reject it. He is still going to be the stone regardless. But then something very important would happen after that. Once they had been down on the ground for some time, once they had hobbled around or, or, or crawled around or maybe screamed in pain for a little bit, but they weren't quite gone yet, they were still able to be healed, what would happen is, is from the top of the scaffolding, they would take one last stone and they would drop it. And it would crush them. And after that point, there would be no more redemption. See, at this moment right here, as Jesus is telling this parable, there was about 72 hours left before that final stone was going to drop. 
There was about 72 hours left, and Jesus knew it. And the intensity of his message, he knew it. And he's trying to plead with them, you've fallen upon this stone, and you've hurt yourself over and over again. You have found nothing, and I'm telling you right now that I am the stone. And you don't have a whole lot of time left to figure this out before, at this point, that final stone will drop, and you will be beyond redemption. Do you feel lost? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel as, as, as Israel did? Maybe we should stop blaming Rome. And Israel had a big problem. They thought Rome was the issue. They couldn't, they couldn't fathom the fact that it was because they were hurling themselves upon the stone over and over again that they were just continuously disobeying and continuously going down this wrong path. They thought that it was because of Rome. So maybe this morning what we should be asking is, is, where are we in this process? Have we done those three things? Have we bared good fruit? Have we honored God? Is everything His? And we, are we obeying His word? Are we telling other people about who He is? We te- are we reaching the world with His message? Some application as we close this morning. There's two different groups I want to talk to. And the first group is, is, is one of these two, is, is non-Christians. Maybe people who have never heard this before, you're here for the first time, or maybe you're just kind of toying around with the idea of, of religion and, and who Jesus is, and, and maybe you fall into that category. Or maybe those of you have been hearing God's voice for a while, like you've been attending for a while, but you haven't acted because you still believe that nobody, including God, is going to tell you how to live. Nobody. I'm here. I'm, lis- I'm listening, but you're not going to convince me to live my life the way God wants me to. That's the first group. See, the problem is, that, or the thing is that God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for intent. You've got to start somewhere. So maybe we start today by saying, I want to be a good tenant. I want to love God. I want to honor God. I want to obey God. I want to tell other people about who he is. I want to start somewhere. And what are the aspects in your life that are completely messed up right now? What are the things that you've been avoiding because you don't want to hear the truth? It's easy to avoid warnings when you don't want to know the truth. It's like at the end of the month when you don't want to check your bank account because you know for a fact there's only like a dollar and 23 cents in there and so you just ignore it. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Everybody's been there before. So you don't look. If I don't look, it's not real, right? So you ignore it and you move on. And the second people uh, that I want to mention is this, is Christians, people who are here that say that they follow, that say that they love, that they, they say that they... Um, they say that they're here for God. They're saying it, but they're not living it. That they've justified their disobedience and they've mistaken grace for indifference and they've rejected the messages. They've rejected the warnings. They say they love God. They're here on Sunday. But that's about as far as it goes. We all fall somewhere into this category. All of us fall somewhere into this category. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. I struggle with this every single day of my life. I have had many seasons where I don't feel like I hear God because I get content. I get to a point where I'm like, I've got it figured out. I don't need God anymore. I'm just going to keep on going. And then every single time I fall upon that stone and I break and I wonder again, why did I get here? How did I get here? And maybe somebody in this room is in this place right now. My question for you this morning is, what are you going to do about that? Join me as we close this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for these parables that we have been uh, going through together as a church. And Father, for them to be revealed to us in an incredible way. 
God, I ask that as you have called us to be the new tenants, if you have, as you have called us to be the new nation, if you, as you have called us to be your, your chosen, your new people, Father, that we would take that seriously. We would look at you and we would say, God, we're going to honor you. We're going to give you everything that we have. We're going to make everything we have yours. We're going to honor you. We're going to obey you. We're going to hold up your laws. We're going to hold up your commandments. We're going to obey what it is that you have to say. And we're going to take this message and we're going to share it with others because we believe that it's important. We believe that redemption is important, that everyone needs your love, God. Thank you for continually challenging us. And no matter where we are this morning, no matter where we're sitting this morning, whether we have heard the warning signs and we're just not listening, or maybe the warning signs have disappeared altogether and we are wandering blind right now, but we know we're heading towards an iceberg. God, would you just wake us up this morning and begin to allow us to repair those things, begin to allow us to wake up and open ourselves to those things, to hear your voice in a brand new way today. God, we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for continuously teaching us more and more about who you are and what it is that you have to say, and Father, how much you love us. I pray this in your name. Amen.